In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, in the gospel lesson today, our Lord Jesus takes up the topic of money, and so will we. For it is our Christian privilege to learn from Him whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. The first thing that we need to consider about money is this fact, and that is that money is good. Possessions are good. We know this from the seventh commandment. You shall not steal. For the Lord here is protecting property, giving us the right and privilege of putting our names on things. And God protects only what is good. There was a dispute about this, even, well, always in the church, but in the Reformation especially. The monks thought that there was something unholy about money and some sort of purity in poverty. In fact, the monastic vow included chastity and poverty and obedience. But the Lutherans came along and said, Holiness consists not in having money or in not having money, but simply in faith towards God. Here's, here's how they argued it out in the, in the Confessions. Another s- passage that the opponents cite against perfection is Matthew 19, where Jesus says, If you will be perfect, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. This passage has vexed many who have imagined that it is perfection to cast away possessions and all control of property. Christian holiness consists instead in much higher matters than such hypocrisy. The division, control, and possession of property are civil ordinances approved by God's word in the commandment, you shall not steal. Abandonment of property has no command or advice in the scriptures. For evangelical poverty does not consist in the abandonment of property, but in not being greedy, in not trusting in wealth. Just as King David was the poorest in the middle of a kingdom of great riches. Now, this is the first thing that we need to know, that money and possessions are not an evil in themselves. For there is a false piety that often dwells in the Christian heart that eschews money and possessions and thinks of it as dirty, something that we have to be involved in because we're in this world, but in heaven it will be different, and it's not so. We know then, first of all, that money and possessions are a good gift of God. But this quotation from the book of Concord also gets to the second point, and that is that these gifts of God, money and possessions, are dangerous, that they can be misused and abused, not just to the damage of our neighbor or to the damage of our, but even to the damage of our own souls. That's why the gospel text has this very strict warning of Jesus, where he says, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's no accident, dear saints, that three of the Ten Commandments deal with this same topic, the topic of money and possessions. The Seventh Commandment, you shall not steal. The Ninth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. And the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. The Lord, who knows all things, knows that of all the things in creation... 
Money and possessions are the very easiest thing for us fallen creatures, us sinful human beings, to turn into idols, into false gods, into something that we fear or something that we trust or something that we love more than God Himself. Martin Luther writes about this in the large catechism, talking about wealth. And these words are especially important. Many a one thinks that he has a God and everything in abundance when he has money and possessions. He trusts in them and boasts of them with such firmness and assurance as to care for no one. Though such a man also has a God. His name is Mammon, money and possessions on which he sets all of his heart, and which is also the most common idol on the earth. He who has money and possessions feels secure and is joyful and undismayed as though he were sitting in the midst of paradise already. On the other hand, he who has none, that is, no money, doubts and is despondent as though he knew no God. For very few are to be found who are of good cheer and who neither mourn nor complain if they have not mammon. This care and desire for money sticks and clings to our nature even to the grave. Do you see that money and possessions create an illusion, an illusion of security, an illusion of safety, an illusion even of happiness. We've talked of this before, but it's, it's important to remember it because like Luther says, this temptation sticks to our flesh. We think that if we have enough, enough in the bank account, enough saved away, enough on our paycheck, then, that, then we'll be safe. And if we don't have enough, then we're not safe. Remember the Lord Jesus and the parable He tells of the rich fool who stored up, had this bumper crop, and he stored up all of his wealth in this huge barn, and he was eating and drinking and celebrating his success when that night he died. And the Lord said to him, Fool, tonight your life is demanded of you, and there is no protection. There is no safety. There is no security in all that you've accumulated, in all of your wealth. We know this from experience, don't we? One day we have enough, and one day it's gone. Here one day, gone the other. I think I've told you all that that's why I think they print an eagle on the dollar bill. It's to remind us that it flies away. (laughs) But here's the danger here. With money, that it would claim our heart. That money would lay claim to our fears or lay claim to our love, or lay claim to our trust. And this idolatry, which is what it is, this idolatry is strictly forbidden and warned of in the gospel with these words of Jesus, you cannot serve both God and money. This is the law of God, and it shows us our sin. Each one of us, in one way or another, is guilty of this and condemned by these words of Jesus. Which way is it for you? 
This is stuff for you to think about. Not, not just right now, while I'm preaching to you, but on your way home this afternoon, as you lie down in bed, as you consider your life in the days and weeks to come. It's something to pray about. When you pray, for example, Psalm 139, these words, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxieties. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We're asking our dear Lord with prayers like this to show us the idols that cling to our heart and to take those idols and to strike them down and put in their place by the Holy Spirit a love and a trust and a fear in God above all things. For God would have us put our trust in nothing but His precious promises, in the death and in the cross and in the resurrection and in the forgiveness of Jesus. This is when we are righteous and holy when we trust in Christ alone. And this is, listen, this is when we are safe and secure. Faith in Jesus is what makes us safe. Not from the troubles of the world, not from sickness and pain, not even from poverty and death, but safe from the greatest terror of all, that is the wrath of God. Safe from eternal condemnation. We have safety and we have security, even that of eternal life with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when we cling to Christ and to Him alone. Trust in Him. Rely on Him. And when we have that, when we have that faith in Jesus, now we're able to approach rightly the question of the parable at hand, that is, what do we do with our wealth? This is the question that Jesus is answering in this parable that is sometimes troubling. Here it is briefly. There's a man, a master, and he has a servant or a steward over all of his stuff. And it comes to the master's attention that this steward was cheating him, taking his stuff, stealing from him. So he comes to the steward and he says, close up the books and hand them over. You're fired. Well, this steward, as he's thinking about his unemployment, thinks, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too proud to... Uh, to beg. I can't do manual labor and I don't want to be on the streets. So I'm going to take advantage of my position while I have it for another day or two and I'm going to, I'm going to cheat my master out of some more money that by this cheating I'll have people who, who can help me. I'm going to give out some favors knowing that I'm going to need some favors in return. So he goes to the debtors. He goes to one. How much do you owe? A hundred uh, measures of oil. Make it fifty. He goes to another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat. Make it 80. I suspect that he would have gone to a, a handful of the master's debtors, and he's, he's building for himself, you see, he's building for himself an unemployment insurance that he'd have a place to go whenever he's out of a job by cheating. But here's the strange thing in the parable. Because after, this, after the steward does all of this cheating, the master comes to him and commends him because of his shrewdness. Now, we should not think by any means that the Lord Jesus is repealing the seventh commandment. No. The point of comparison, though, that we're looking for is right there in verses 8 and 9, these words. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For, says Jesus, 
the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. The Lord Jesus is giving us here heavenly wisdom in earthly clothes. And stated simply, the teaching of the parable is this. The Lord's people are to use their money and their possessions and their wealth to serve and to love their neighbor. And especially in this case, to support the work of the church, which is the preaching of the gospel and the forgiving of sins. That, after all, is how we make friends for ourselves who receive us into eternal dwelling by the hearing of the gospel and the believing of it. And the thing that Jesus is driving us towards here is faithfulness. He says, the one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. But one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? That is the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And if you have been faithful, if you have not been faithful in that which belongs to another, who will give you something to own? And this is the point, dear saints. The Christian loves above all else, above all things in heaven and on earth, above all that can be named, the Christian loves above everything Jesus. And His death and His resurrection and His forgiveness and His gospel, so that the, Lord, the Lord's dear Christians spend their time and their money and their everything else seeing to it that they themselves hear this gospel and that their neighbors also hear it, their children and their family and their friends and all of those around them, that we hear the marvelous and never-ending love of God. This is the stewardship program that Jesus has in mind. And it's not a program at all. It's simply the commandments in action. Loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which includes loving His Word and the preaching of the Gospel, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, not just with a human love, but with a divine love that desires to see them reach salvation. And in this, dear saints, Jesus is our supreme example. For out of His great love for the Father, and out of His great love for you, He left His heavenly riches and dropped Himself into your poverty, into your and mine's destitute situation, that He might give to you the riches of eternal life. And look, more important than that, more important than the fact that Jesus is our example, Jesus is much more. He, in fact, is our Redeemer, the one who has paid the price for our sins, even for our selfishness, even for our greed, even for our pride, He is the one who by His blood has paid every last penny.
And he, by that blood, has called us to be his friends. His riches, his eternal riches of life and life eternal are ours. They are yours because you are his. And this, this alone, as we struggle through the temptations of this sinful life, this is our comfort and our peace, now and forever. Amen. And now may the peace of God, that passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.